You truly are. King of Kings. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen and loyal listeners, to another episode of The Kings of Kings. This is Sean. And Keith. Hello, Sean. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm excited to jump in here uh, to a high-speed, high-paced recap of a lot of Kings news over the past week or so. Yeah, let's, go, let's jump right in. Let's start with the uh, the Andre Sequeira trade as we move into the Sequeira era. Sequeira era. I hope we can coin that. Um, this obviously is a deal that I am slightly biased in favor of as Sequeira is a fellow Slovak. He is currently staying with Miriam Gabrick, and um, I think I have a natural affinity um, towards him. But to review, Andre Sequeira was acquired from the Hurricanes for a conditional first-round pick, as well as um, one of our defensive prospects, Roland McCune, um, maybe like our fifth-best defensive prospect in the minor system. Um that conditional pick, again, was going to be this year if we make the playoffs or next year if we miss the playoffs so that we protect it from the lottery draft. Um, yeah, what, uh, what were your gut reactions since you are not Slovak or related to the Sakara family? Uh, I was in favor of it because, I mean, this is something that was talked about a lot all season about shoring up the blue line. Sakara seemed like he was the best defenseman available. That's what I've heard. Yeah, and I mean the losing Roland McEwen, sure, uh, that doesn't bother me so much. The, the The first round pick seems maybe a little high. I guess it, it it's all going to depend on how it pans out in terms of how well we do in the playoffs if we make the playoffs. Um, but the, the I think the brilliant part of it was because everyone it, it's sort of the general consensus that this year's draft is going to be so good that the the way Lombardi formatted the conditional pick that if we win if we go to the playoffs I can't remember if, we go, if it's just if we go to the playoffs we'll go deep in the playoffs just then, that we make the playoffs just making the playoffs then the pick is for this season if we don't make the playoffs then we then would have the, a chance of taking the number one overall pick through the weird lottery exactly which is a, I think is a brilliant a brilliant move on Lombardi's part it is, and it, it seemed like it was replicated later by other teams um, in deadline deals leading up to the trade deadline, so we will get into some of that later. But um, let me ask you this. What would have to happen for this deal to be looked at as a success for the Kings um, and for it to have been worth the, the price that we paid? For it to be looked at as success would be a deep playoff run and Sakara resigns. Ooh, that's that's a lot to ask for. Um, I I think Sakara resigning really does seem to be uh, important, and frankly, the Kings have an excellent 
record uh, or history of trading for individuals and then being able to re-sign them, such as Marion Gabrick, uh, Robin Regeer, um, and I, I do have confidence that it's a possibility, but it does seem like Sekiro's asking for a, a pretty big contract for a lot of money with Carolina, and they, I think, wanted to re-sign him, but they're like, whoa, that's crazy, we're not going to do that. Um, so I think it would work for the Kings if Sekiro re-signed, and that would have to mean he would take less to stay with us. So it almost reinforces what you're saying, which is if he's to um, to stay here, the Kings probably have to have a good postseason run in order for him to be like, yeah, this team is good. I feel like I have a future of potential Stanley Cups. If I stay here, I'll take less money, um, which seems to be what other players have done. Well, yeah, totally. But like, if if he's not convinced that this team is good by their past three years of playoff success, then he hasn't been paying attention. He hasn't been paying attention. But it sounds like he has been. He says that losing is not an option in LA. Right, and then and then we lose the first three games he plays in. Yes, uh, technically we lost the first two that he played in. But oh, that's right, cause it wasn't. He didn't one. play in the first one. Um, I I actually think I would qualify it a little bit more. I think all we have to do is make the playoffs. Again, this is also the low expectations I've created for this team this year. I think as long as we make the playoffs um, and then we can re-sign him, even if we don't make it out of the first round, to me that, that makes the trade successful. Um, I would love for us to go further in the playoffs. I'm sure he would as well, but just in terms of the of general management, like I think you could say, hey, we got a um, top four defenseman and we're getting him for the long haul, um, and we've just given up essentially like a first round pick at some point and a, a, a decent prospect, but one that was not um, playing that well, frankly, from what everyone was indicating. Um, but also, I think I think that re-signing him is going to be a, is going to be a bigger sign of the success of the deal, only because Dean Lombardi has been adamant against signing rental right. players. Yeah, that I mean, I, I would imagine that contract talk was already going on with Gabrick as soon as he came to the Kings, or even before. I think the I think the I don't the think notion, you can. I think that's well, illegal. I don't think you can talk extensions with a player before you trade for them. Well, maybe not officially, but I think if, if there was if there was no understanding that this player would ever sign with this team, right? Then we probably wouldn't have done the deal, right? Um, I I do think the interesting caveat in like much of this season, this deal is also influenced by the bizarre, uncomfortable Slava Voinov situation because. He probably won't be coming back this year, and I think the Kings have now structured their roster to, to deal with that. But if he um, has all of his legal um, issues worked through and the NHL, uh, and, and let's say he's acquitted, and the NHL removes his suspension um, in time for the beginning of next season, assuming they're 
investigation shows no wrongdoing, um, which I don't know if that's that likely, but just, just, I think what Dean Lombardi has to do is be prepared for different scenarios. And so if Slava Voinov comes back to the team and is fully restored by the NHL, then all of a sudden you've got like, boom, many more years of a significant cap hit through Slava Voinov. Um, and I don't know how easy it would be to just dump him. I think, you know, you'd get penalized if you were to just try to buy him out. So I think the Kings would take him back, and then you then you essentially would not have room, um, from my understanding, for Sakara, unless I guess I guess we could let Robin Regeer walk. Um, I haven't thought this out fully, but I think the idea is Sakara would be re-signed, essentially to take Slava Voinov's place. Do you? Do you think that's true as well, or, or, or what? Yeah, I think that's the that's the entire rationale behind this trade. Right, because I think McNabb is supposed to, by next year, have ascended into a, you know, stable starting six defenseman. And uh, the, I think the hope was to not have to re-sign Regeer, so... Well, I, I, I think we'll, we'll see about that, because, again, Regeer's been paired with Dowdy this past, what, 10 or 15 games and has been playing well. Well, let's get into that. Um, Because Regeer had been playing quite well since he returned from a a weird injury um, until, I'd say, about a week or two ago. Um, and, And you've indicated that you've not been able to watch recent games as much. I, I have finally been able to catch some games Regeer has looked quite shaky again. Um, he's looked slow. He's made some turnovers. He's been getting paired with Sakara, and I feel kind of bad for Sakara because a lot of he's been on the ice for many goals, and I feel like they've been more often than not Regeer's fault instead of Sakara's. Um, so Regeer's does not look that strong. I think he needs a break. I think we need to like give him some sort of, like, time off the ice, you know, let him sit down as a seventh defenseman. Um, of course, Alec Martinez is currently injured, so that's the issue there. But, um, yeah, Regeer has looked a little uh, shaky as of late. And I think... So this, who do you pair with Dowdy, then? Well, there's two options. One is to just hope that Martinez comes back soon, and once he does, he takes Regeer's spot. The other no, option... But, but Martinez doesn't play with Dowdy. No, no, no. But Muzzin does. I mean, everything is scrambled. So you put Muzzin and Dowdy back together, you put Martinez and Green back together, and then McNabb can play with Sakara on the second or third line. Um because Sakara is able to play like on a right wing, or or on either side, um, so it 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 would work out fine. It's not like you wouldn't have someone to play with Dowdy. Um, McNabb can also play with Dowdy if if need be. I don't. I think that would be kind of interesting, um, and probably good for McNabb. But um, I don't know. You could even. P- return McBain to the lineup who was actually playing really well and the Kings have a phenomenal record when McBain is starting at something like 
don't know, 15 and four or whatever. But, um, yeah. So defensively, we've been a little shaky as of late. We've lost three of the last four games. Um, we just won last night against the Oilers, which isn't saying much. Uh, but I was really trying to watch Sakara play because I've been curious and, defensemen are always sort of harder to um, detect, I think, on the ice than an offensive dynamic player like Gabrick. Like, you could just be like, oh, this new guy Gabrick, I'm going to watch him in the zone. But defensemen are a little harder to pick up. And uh, I was pretty impressed with Sakara. I, I like his um, approach. I mean, he's, he's, he's quick. He seems, like, confident to skate with the puck, which I like always and um he he's been making simple smart passes out of the zone sean that's all i want that's all you ask for that's um, all i've ever wanted out of life yeah but he, he seems like not the biggest defenseman but to have like good positioning and to, to kind of just have fundamental defensive like awareness like how to, to box them out or um you know, take take his man out of the play. So, I I I'm so far, you know, with confidence in the deal. And uh, I think there was a great tweet I saw, which was, I don't know much about Zakara, and I don't care about all the stats. All I want to know is how angry are other teams <laughs> about the fact that the Kings got Zakara. And uh, I feel like that's a good metric for determining the success of a trade. Yeah, and I think if you look at it, Lombardi swung arguably the biggest available free agents the past, counting this season, the past four seasons. Free Carter, agents? Not, not, not free agents. I'm sorry, not free agents. The, 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 biggest, the, the biggest trades. Um, trades, the biggest uh, available trade players. Carter, Regeer, Gabrick, and Sakara. Um, I might, you could argue against Robin Regeer, but, well, but I mean, at who the else same time, at that point, that, that, okay, what other big, de- uh, uh, defender was available at that point? I don't remember, but I don't think you would call him the biggest overall player that was moved. I do think you could argue, however, that Dustin Penner, at the time we acquired him, was one of the most desirable players on the trade market, and we that's we, true. we did get him. Yeah, um, that's five years. May we speak no more of him though, because he is continuing to. Uh, oh, he, he's he's making a mess of things. Uh, making an ass of himself. Yes, let's let's avoid talking about Dustin Benner. Anyways, uh, more armchair GMing because this is like one of my favorite times of year. Dean Lombardi has also been making contract extensions left and right. Tell us, Sean. Uh, Jordan Nolan got three years, or no? Did he get two years or three years? Uh, let's let's say two. And Clifford got five, both of them under two million. Clifford, yeah, Nolan was about. Clifford. Nolan was just a little under one million. I think Clifford is one and a half million per year. Clifford's, I think, one point eight. Um, 
Do you like both of these signings, just one of these signings, neither of these signings? I like both of the signings. The Clippers seems a little bit long, but I think that's fine. Um, yeah, I think they're great. I think both players have played really well this season. Um, and I think uh, keeping the bottom six locked up uh, is a good idea. And I think that the, the, the philosophy has been um, not to trade any members of – basically not to trade any roster players that have been with the team for any significant amount of time. And I think that goes to, to the loyalty of Lombardi, and I think that goes to the tightness of the locker room. And I think that that is something really special and different than from a lot of teams like Clifford himself said. Uh, I mean, everybody knew Clifford. If, if Clifford went on the open market, he could have gotten $3 million a year or something crazy from mm-hmm. a Boston or a, or a, 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 a Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he said, we're family. And I want to stay here. And I, you don't hear that from players in San Jose. You know, you don't hear oh. that from players. <laughs> Boom! You don't hear that from players in Vancouver, Vancouver, and you don't hear that from players in in Boston. You know, I haven't heard that from players anywhere in a long time. So I think that's something really special. <laughs> We're also probably not paying attention to like post game or middle of the week interviews, but. It is a good point. Um, apparently, he would have signed for even longer, <laughs> is what what else he said. So, there's there's that fact. Um, I I do like the Kyle Clifford signing. Um, I don't really mind the length of years because it means his cap hit is probably lower, and he's young. Um, I don't know if we're gonna see him break beyond what he's currently doing maybe this year he's probably playing the best he's ever played this year and I don't know if he'll surpass this I don't know if he'll ever break into 10 goals a year um but he scored again last night and um he's just like really solid and doing exactly what you'd ask for from a fourth liner and I think I could see him at times jumping into a third line role if needed um so I think Kyle Clifford is a good signing. I think he's he's probably going to be like an anchor on a fourth line. Uh, not in a bad way, but like he, he will always, you know, kind of provide you some stability on a fourth line while other players probably rotate in and out. Because frankly, he's like a left wing. He's not a center. And we have Gabrick signed for like the next decade. We've extended Dwight King who's a left wing, who's playing on the second now and will probably slide down to the third once we re-sign Tyler DeFoley, or, sorry, Tanner Pearson, who's, I think, the projected second-line left winger. And you'd, you'd have to imagine we'd want to sign him for for quite a while. So, you know, I don't really think there's anywhere to go for Kyle Clifford other than sort of a very stable career on our fourth line for the next few years well, yeah and he's a great utility player I mean there were times uh, I know last season where he jumped up to the top line I'm right. not saying that that's a scenario but he's able to do that and not embarrass himself you know? right like, and he can serve that role for a game or two and he can throw the punches when uh, the game calls for it which you it's know never. in the wild wild west 
it seems like you do need to have someone who can do that. Which brings me to Jordan Nolan. Uh, also someone who can throw punches. Also someone with a lot of energy. Also someone who is left-handed and tends to play along the left side. I think once upon a time he might have been drafted as a center. Uh, I have never seen him play center for the Kings. I just don't know if I see a you know an extended future for Jordan Nolan on this team, considering all the other parts of our lineup that are getting filled up, and considering the fact that Lombardi likes to bring up a Nick Shore or an Andrioff or who knows a Jordan Wheel next year and try out you know, young players to see how they're, how they're doing on the, in their development. It, it just seems to me like signing another fourth liner already is potentially blocking up a opening that you could bring in other players to. Yeah. But I think the, the, the rationale is that if we had the choice between playing a Jordan Nolan and playing an Andy Androff, that we're going to pick Jordan Nolan. Well, you would think if we had the choice to play Mike Richards or a Nick Shore, we would probably play a Mike Richards, but that's not happening right now either. Um, No, but I deny the the premise of your question. The question (laughs) is not whether or not we want Nick Shore or Mike Richards. It's if we want Mike Richards playing well. If Mike Richards, as he was playing whatever a month ago versus Nick Shore as he's playing right now, you pick Nick Shore. Because he's playing better than Mike Richards. I guess. Can we just... Can we take Mike Richards and send Jared Stoll down to the minors? Because Jared Stoll... Uh, it's not any better than Mike Richards right not now. really. No. I, and, saw, I saw a stat somewhere. This is like... I, I think he had an assist last night. Or maybe he didn't have an assist last night. But he hasn't had an assist in like 30 games. Jared Stoll? Yeah. Has he had a goal? I don't know the last time he had a goal. It was a million and a half years ago. But if, if anyone, in other words, if anyone's wondering why Williams' numbers are down, it's from playing with Jared Stoll. Well, and I don't even, and I don't think Williams is playing that poorly even. Um, but yeah, but imagine if, imagine if Williams was playing with a Jeff Carter. I think player. And I'm not saying put him with Jeff Carter, but I'm saying like imagine if he was playing with someone who could set him up as well as Jeff Carter can set up Tyler Toffoli or vice versa. Yeah, I do think Williams belongs back on the top line. I know I've been pushing for Dustin Brown up there, but man, Dustin Brown has been making some really poor plays lately, and I feel like the third line is generous for him at this point, unfortunately. Um, but... But the Jordan Nolan deal, for me, one of the troubling things, unfortunately, about both these signings, and I agree that paying less than a million dollars for someone with two Stanley Cup rings and who is playing really well right now is probably not the worst thing. Like, you could just put him as your, in your depth chart, you know, like Jordan Nolan could sit and watch from the press box all next year, and it's not a terrible thing um, because you're not paying him much at all. But for me, I think the biggest concern within all of this is that we're making, we're committing specific amounts of money 
two players and roster spots over the next few years without having addressed more important free agents, which are Justin Williams, as we are talking about, who will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Um, and then in two years, there's Andre Kopitar. And I think it's likely that, you know, they're, they've been trying to work out deals and maybe it's just like, okay, we're putting this on pause right now um, until the season ends or whatever, or maybe we just won't release. Well, that's, ex- that's exactly what happened with Justin Williams, is that they were negotiating and nothing was coming of it, so they decided to push the negotiations until the end of the season. Not at the end of the season, but after the season. Yeah. I just, and we can't, neg- can't negotiate with um, Kopitar until July 1st anyway. Yeah, I just... I mean, how how badly do you want to see Justin Williams return? Pretty badly. I think Pretty be- badly, but... But I think, for, I think Lombardi's point of view is you get done the deals you can get done because we don't know if how much the cap is going up. Everyone's saying it's not going up very much at all. Lombardi's saying he's just going to be operating with the $69 million cap in his mind. Mm-hmm. And so at some point we'd have to resign Nolan and Clifford or trade them. So he's like, I, I think the, the, um, the mentality was you get the deals done now that you can get done. And then with, with keeping in mind, we have to keep a chunk of money, whatever that is for, Williams and a chunk of money, whatever that is for Kopitar, and not not going in and not allowing the Clifford and Nolan money to seep into what you've reserved for Williams and, and Kopitar. Mm-hmm. But you got to get those deals done at some point, so you might as well get them done now. Fair. Notice we're not talking about money needed to bring back Jared Stoll, um, whom is also a free agent, uh, but. I do hope we don't resign him. However, if the epic series of, you know, behind the scenes of the stadium series has shown us anything, it is that there are, you know, elements of these players that obviously, you know, exist off the ice. And Matt Green, I think, is a much more important player to the team in the locker room and off the ice sense than we appreciate from his you know sort of limited bottom uh defensive pairing minutes and i i wonder if jared stoll is also like a pretty key glue person in the locker room that you know the team enjoys having there and that might be disruptive if you let him go um which is you know a slight worry of mine that that we might feel like we can't afford to to let this player go because of what he means off off the ice as well. Yeah, but I mean, it, 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 isn't that just as important as points? Um, not necessarily, because I think you would be replacing Jared Stoll with Mike Richards, who theoretically also has you know, key leadership and locker room presence. Um, yeah, but we say that, but we don't know the the internal dynamics of 
the locker room. So, for, for instance, if Lombardi came out and just said publicly, not that he ever would, but he just said publicly, like, Jared Stoll's not a great hockey player, or he's not as good as other hockey players, but he's so, he's so important to the makeup of the locker room that I'm willing to pay him $2 million a year, basically just to be a good guy and keep everybody positive. Um, do you, do you, would, would you think that that's a good signing? No, because I, I think we have other players that are younger that are coming up like a DeFoley or King like or Rich or uh, Clifford now like we, we have other players that um, need to start ascending that mantle um, because we're committing to them as players and eventually there's going to have to be some turnover um, and like you know it sounds like Dowdy is taking on more of like a leadership role which is cool and hilarious but um, <laughs> I think like it's uh, it, it, yeah like if you pay him two million dollars like can we just sit him on the bench as well like he and Jordan Nolan can just be cheerleading because uh, but anyways I'm just saying don't I, I would not expect anytime soon to see anybody from the quote unquote core or really anybody from either of the Stanley Cup championship teams to be leaving well, it hap- like there is a trickle. Like we are not able to retain everyone. So Rob Skidari left. Willie Mitchell left. These are important veteran, you know, decent players when they left. So it's likely that we're going to lose someone. Um, you know, I I think I think it's almost uh, accepted fact that we can't afford. Stoll and Williams and Regeer, who are all, you know, unrestricted free agents. Agreed. Who of those three would you would you most like to see not return? Jared Stoll. <laughs> I think that is that is uh that's the prevailing wisdom. Yeah. One last comment on these on these re signings, these sort of twin fourth line uh re re ups of contracts for Jordan Nolan and Kyle Clifford. Um, this is my wild theory in some. These re-signings both happened before the trade deadline. Did they not? Yeah. So my, my inclination is what if Lombardi thought, not only let me do some signings of players that I can do since... Justin Williams and others are off the table right now, but what if I do these signings of some key players who are playing really well right now um, and restore them to the team for several more years at pretty low cap hits, um, making them even more valuable and uh alluring on the trade market considering the fact that they have um, been playing really well and will now have low cap hits for several more years in case someone came calling for Mike Richards and was like what else can you give us you know like if we're going to take Mike Richards off your hand Lombardi could be like well I have Jordan Nolan two time cup winner 
for less than a million dollars wrapped up for, for the next few years. Um, or maybe if he was going to do another deal. Just the fact that he now has these young, good players under control for more years with a low cap hit would make them extremely lucrative trade pieces in case he was trying to do something bigger. That was a theory of mine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like every other Lombardi deal, there's, a, there's no, no movement clause. Right. I mean, it would be pretty um, uncommon and kind of a, a dick gesture to <laughs> work through a deal and extend someone for five years and then turn around the next day and trade them. Um, we don't see that in hockey as much, but um, who knows? You know, it could have potentially happened, but it didn't. So it looks like we're going to have them for, for a bit longer. Yeah, I mean, I think the only, the only that's sticking them up there is the length of Cedric's contract. Yeah. But, but I, I, I think your point's well made. I totally agree with you. Well, thank you. Um, let's move on to uh, any other transactions that we saw take place over um, the trade deadline. Um, was there... Were there any other trades of note not involving the Kings that stuck out to you? Uh, the Wizards you trade to the Ducks. Ah. Uh, that's something I wish hadn't happened. Um, you think that'll help them? Say what? You think that'll that'll help the Ducks? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a good, uh, he's a good offensive defense to help out on the power play, which is uh, unfortunate. So they'll have to suffer to see the hands of the Kings again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the other one of note I think is the Yandel trade to uh, the Rangers. Do you, who do you think that worked out well for? I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, the, the Coyotes dealt out a lot of people, uh, and they're really in the viciousness of each of us. you think I, I mean that's like people seem to really like this trade for the Rangers and think you know they got a key piece but I'm wondering if we're overrating Keith Yandel a bit like is he really gonna be this transformational defenseman for the team I don't think he needs to be transformational but I think he is a good addition I don't think anybody was coming on thinking that this guy going to turn around the franchise. I think they figured we need more offense from our blue line, and that's exactly what they got. Well, they got Dan Boyle as well um, in the offseason. Yeah, Dan Boyle is, what, 500 years old? Oh, you know, almost. Like three feet tall? <laughs> I mean, how many older dominions of players do you need on one roster? <laughs> Why? Whoever else could you be referring to? I can't. I can't even think of it. Do you after the okay after the trade deadline? 
who do you think is poised to come out of the Eastern Conference? Just like, does your conception of who's the favorite in the East change? I, uh, no, not really. I still, I still really like the Rangers. You think the Rangers are, are coming back? Yeah, I think that they, I think they're the real deal. Which is funny because I think everybody thought, including myself, that after um, losing in the final last year, that they were going to be kind of done for a while, kind of in the wilderness a little bit. And uh, they really proved everybody wrong that season. They played really well. I think that had a lot to do with the uh, the resurgence of the Rick Nash. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think a lot of that can be attributed to Rick Nash, and maybe just dumping Richards. You know, getting him off of their lineup uh, seems to have lightened their load. He, they're playing much better without him. Um, yeah, and they just resigned uh, the Hobbit, Matt Zuccarello, for what four years, I think. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, they're kind of going all in right now because they traded their first-round pick, a really good prospect, and a second-round pick for um, Keith Yandel. They also traded John Moore, who's, like, one of their current defensemen. So, you know, this was a pretty, like, big trade, which is always fun to watch. The other big trade, or one of the other big trades, was one giant contract for another in David Clarkson going to the Blue Jackets in return for the injured and potentially never to return to the ice again, Nathan Horton. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, David Clarkson playing as well as Nathan Horton. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Um, there's been a lot of others who've written and, and talked about this, and, and there's some good articles like on Puck, Puck Daddy, but... Um, it's a pretty fascinating trade um, that I, I'm pretty happy because neither of these teams really has any impact on the Kings. I I think it's a pretty good overall deal. Um, like yeah, I I I I'm enjoying it because just after having played Davis against Clarkson in the in the finals in 2012, I decided that I hate him and I think he's a total jerk, <laughs> and it's really happy to see him. I see all these expectations heaped upon him, and I'm just disappointing everyone, including himself. I, I like... Now, this is when you were par- lined up against him on the ice. Which which line were you on when you were playing against David Clarkson? I was on the top line. Okay. I'm Dustin Brown. Brown in this scenario. Okay. Wow. I don't know if I want to be Dustin Brown, but... Um, that's the way you call him, That's good that, um, that you're, you're watching him... You know, quickly drop off uh, after after your displeasure lining up against him. Um, it, you know, there is some suspicion that now that the Maple Leafs have removed the entire contract from their books, that entire cap hit, and have taken on someone who is currently on long term injured reserve, and therefore their contract has no cap. Um, hit from what I can understand that basically Toronto could essentially absorb another bad contract or another heavy cap hit 
a la Unlike Richards. So... Yeah, but why would they want to? Well, the argument is they will take on uh, another bad contract in addition to a number of draft picks or prospects or rebuilding elements and could potentially then unload um, another one of their contracts in return that they don't want, like a loophole or something. I don't think we should hold our breath for that to happen. I don't I, mean, I mean, I the logic of what you're saying. I just, I, I have a feeling that it's, uh, I, I just don't, I just don't, I don't know if that, that feels going to be put out between the Kings and those, those state police. Yeah. All right, well, I, mean, um, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what process are we going to give up to get rid of Richard? I don't know. I, I, I hope no. we wouldn't do any of that, <laughs> frankly. I don't like the idea of doing it. I don't think we should really trade Richards unless someone's taking all of his salary. I really don't like the idea of getting rid of a player who may still have some hockey left in him and paying to, for, have, for him to play in another uh, city. So. I, but that's the other thing. I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen either. I think somewhere or another, whatever trade, if we make a trade with Richards, which I imagine is going to happen, I, I think we're we're gonna have to eat some of the salary. I don't I just don't I know. Way around. I know, it kills me. I hate it. Yeah, totally. Do you remember when like everyone was asking about like, oh, should the Kings buy out Richards? Should they trade him? Should they just hold on to him? And there was this like belief like, well there's really no reason to buy him out because even if the Kings eventually decide he doesn't fit into their future, and they don't want him anymore. You could just trade him. He's got a relatively low cap hit, and he's got all of these victories and accomplishments, two Stanley Cups in his back pocket. So he's certainly tradable. Like, there is just this assumption, like, oh, we could always trade him if he um, isn't panning out on our team. And that is proving to be far from the case. Yeah, that was also before he tanked even lower in the season. Yep, yep, yep. Well, speaking of this season, um, let's let's catch up a little bit before we sign off here on the Kings' current play. Uh, we were riding high, uh, I guess the last time we talked, um, fresh off the Kings' victory over the Sharks in the outdoor game. They eventually won eight straight games, uh, which I think was one away from a franchise record. And we're looking like, well, frankly, a typical King season in which we <laughs> skid and then streaked high and then who knew what would happen next. But of course... It was predictable. They then proceeded to lose three straight games, including getting shut out by the Senators. Yeah, but that was again some really insanely hot goaltender at the moment. Like he, that guy was just kind of out of control. He was. He also shut out, I think, Anaheim the night before. So I don't know. I mean, we played okay that game. Uh, the Ducks 
played well against us and came back and beat us in the third period, they really probably dominated most of that game, and we just had some lucky goals. Um, and then, frankly, we got steamrolled by a Winnipeg Jets team over the weekend that I have not been paying much attention to. Just assume they're kind of garbage as they've been dwelling in last place for many seasons and don't have a ton of, you know, veteran mixed in with young prospects, but for some reason, the Jets are, like, doing really well this year. They seem to have almost secured themselves a spot in the playoffs, and they looked really good. Like, they didn't just, like, happen to beat us and get lucky. Like, they they really clobbered the Kings. We played poorly, but like it was almost like their system was just stronger than ours. Like they just had good structure, good defense, a good way of moving the puck up the ice. They had a good forecheck. They knew what to do when they were in our zone. Um, and we just never felt very dangerous against them. Um, it was kind of unnerving to see another team just like out um outplay us according to by just following like their their game plan um especially a team that is kind of under the radar and I would not think of as a threat um but which looked really good um I do not want yet another team in the west to, to be on the rise and to be dangerous and it, it looks like the Jets are potentially going to be a dangerous team um, well we'll see how they do in the playoffs we will see fortunately they're going to have to likely run a gamut of difficult teams if they make it to the into the playoffs um, of course as bad as we looked in our I think it was a 2-5 d- defeat we then turned around and whooped Edmonton by the same score, 5-2, to two, uh, on Tuesday night. And we looked amazing. We looked like we were imposing our game. Um, we were pretty much doing whatever we wanted, and it was really refreshing to see. Of course, it was against Edmonton, so I don't know what, um, if there's any real takeaway, but it was nice to just see a victory again. against Edmonton is something like 16-1-3 in the last few years. Apparently we just always destroy Edmonton. But yeah, so schedule is starting to pick up. Things are getting crazy. There's, I think Kings, Flames, and Sharks are all tied with the same number of points right now, and they're all just a few points behind Vancouver. Um also very close to the last wild card spot held by Minnesota Wild. So 
it'll be interesting. It'll be exciting. There's clearly a lot more to watch in the West than the East, which is the exact opposite of what we expected. But, um... Yeah, the only silver lining, like, or not the only silver lining, but one of the silver linings right now, uh, with the, us being tied in points with Calgary and San Jose, well, two things. One, we have two games in the hand on San Jose, and one, uh, Mark Giordano is done for the season in Calgary. Yes. Um, hopefully, for our sake, that will lead to a, a weakening of um, of the the Flames. Although, you know, it looks like they could potentially rally around this in a sort of inverse way of, of, of being even better. Um, I was hoping that Evander Kane's departure from the Jets would, would sort of decimate them, and instead they've only seemed to turn it around. Um, you know, we've also got uh, Patrick Kane missing from the Blackhawks. It feels like there are some openings now in the West for for other teams to, to surge ahead. But um, who knows? I mean, you could say the same about Tanner Pearson at this point. He's probably one of our top five offensive players. So. Yeah, it's going to be a while last few weeks that. Yeah, hopefully we'll get him back to play meaningful games. All right, and hopefully we will be able to watch some more meaningful games. Sean, I think it's time to sign off. For the Kings of Kings, this is Keith saying go. This is Sean saying Kings. <laughs> go. And we need Robin here to say the last go, but it's not. Oh. Oh. All right. Well. Till next time. Till next time. Excellent. <laughs>